The Rough Drafts Podcast is sponsored by Unicorn.com, the world's premier esports betting site. Bet on your favorite games like CSGO, Dota 2, and League of Legends, and earn Unicorns through successful bets, or use Unicorn's exclusive Connect program, where you can earn Unicorns just by playing some of your favorite games. Use your earnings to enter Unicorn's raffles for exciting prizes like Logitech peripherals or CSGO skins. So join Chase and Walter and prove who really is the esports gambling expert. Unicorn.com. Log on today. Walter C.A.D. Spedchuk welcoming you to a very, very, very special edition of the Rough Drafts podcast. It is championship weekend. The spring split has come and almost gone. We've played 10 weeks of the regular season over here in Europe, and that's a fact I'm going to continue hammering home. We played 10 weeks, not nine weeks like North America, but 10 weeks. The promotion tournament in Europe was two weeks long. They just like adding an extra week onto everything because they can't have ties anymore. But I digress. We have now played a quarterfinals, two quarterfinals matches, two semifinals matches, and we have our top two teams chosen. G2 Esports versus the Unicorns of Love. And then in the third place match, Misfits versus Fnatic, a battle of the older brother teams that fought so valiantly in the promotion tournament and both got promoted into the LCS. And I'm going to be talking about all of this with my good friend and co-host, Chase Redshirt King Wassener. Chase, it's not Rocket. I know it's super disappointing. They're not in the finals, but we do have two pretty solid teams here. I, am I supposed to be disappointed by this? I'm so excited for where we are right now as far as the EU LCS is concerned. You know, these are the two teams that we wanted to see, right? These were the top two seeds. They won their groups. They were the most impressive teams heading into the playoffs. Certainly, H2K was disappointing in terms of how they played in the quarterfinals. So there was that concern, oh, maybe Unicorns of Love isn't quite as put together as we think. Maybe G2, they showed those flaws against Rockat. Maybe they're sliding. And... I feel like both teams had, you know, flawed performances. I'm not going to go out and say that I uh, I thought they played perfectly, but they did what needed to get done. They understood, you know, what their win conditions were. They uh, played with a lot of resolve, uh, especially, uh, I would say, Unicorns of Love had a lot of up-and-down moments in their games, and you saw they, they never lost their tempo. They never stopped being the Unicorns of Love, and that's led us to a finals I think we can be very excited by, and it's also led us to a third-place match that's going to be very interesting. I, I think that uh, what we're seeing now uh, from both teams, there are uh, certain question marks that I think are going to be there, but also certain positives that we're going to look to and say, heading into the summer season, there's a lot of potential for them to continue to grow, and, and you know, I look forward to, to seeing all of it. These should be two very fun series. 
You know, there, I, I don't think we had any ups and downs from last week. I think everything was pretty pretty straightforward, and we'll get to the good and the bad stuff just talking about the teams. I just want to go right in to the games themselves. Let's just get yes. right right underway because we have a little okay. surprise for our fans uh, on the championship match. We, we have true. some people that will be joining us to talk about those teams. But first, Fnatic versus Misfits. Right. Chase, Fnatic had a had a pretty great run to the end of the season. It saw Reckless elevate himself, I think, into superstar status officially and actually stay there and not just become a joke. They had a great uh, a great quarterfinals match um, against uh, H2K. They just rolled over them. No one really saw that coming. It really cemented them as a contender for a championship. And then even against G2, they were plucky for the first three games. That was a closer first three games than maybe that 2-1 score would have indicated. What did you like from Fnatic? What was it about, you know, that this run so far that's really been like, okay, Fnatic has figured things out? Well, what I like about it is that they have a clear identity nowadays. Uh, You know, when you see Caps play this Aurelian Soul twice, and I thought he looked good on on both... uh, in both games, obviously, game one was a, a much easier or stomp for them, so it's going to look a little bit more smooth. But honestly, I thought he, he played well in both of those series. I think it really emphasized their desire to roam around the map and put tons of pressure down on enemy towers. You saw them trying to do this via lane swaps, which I don't think worked, but it's an interesting experiment. You know, when you're the underdog, you have to try things, right? G2 is clearly the favorite here. If you play them in a straight-up standard lane, standard matchups, you're going to lose. And Fnatic realized that and said, okay, but what if we try to throw them off of the tempo by doing these weird lane swaps? What if we try to roam around with our our mid laner and get flanks off that way? What if we put Reckless on Tristana of all things and just say, hey, get all of the attack speed, take down towers, you know, for whatever reason, we'd rather do this with Tristana than Ziggs, which I'm not gonna pretend like I understand, but you know, fine, It, it was an interesting idea. I, I think that maybe they overthought a lot of these things. I, I thought that, for example, the Kale blind pick in match four was one of the worst decisions I've seen a team make in the pick and ban phase. Kale has a very specific subset of matchups in which it is an okay pick in that laning phase right now. And this, just letting G2 do whatever they wanted, I thought was a very weird decision on their part. I, I thought that. Soaz had a, a lot of question marks around his play that certainly they're going to have to look at how they want to handle that. Now that, you know, the Fnatic Academy team is moving up, this is their last chance to say, hey, we'd rather have Kickus than Soaz. Let's move Kickus up to the main roster before we sell the spot. That's going to be a very interesting conversation. But overall, I'm excited by the potential here. Once they get a, a real coach rather than a guy who right now is kind of letting the team do whatever it is they want to do, I think they can refine a lot of these elements and turn it into something that's going to be a, a real threat moving forward. And certainly, uh, I, I think they have nothing to be ashamed of with this series. Especially, shout out to Broxa real quick. The Baron steals that he managed to get in both games two and three. I, I don't know how he does it, but shout out to him. It was really fun to see him put that together. And it's been nice to see his development. Because a few weeks ago, I thought that he was going to be a bust, and now I'm much more excited about the future of his career. So, yeah, a lot of things to be excited about. I, I would I would definitely say that it does not surprise me that Fnatic won Game 1, and that Game 2 was very close and looked like there was, for a moment, Fnatic could have won that as well. 
Fnatic was going to win the early parts of that, that series, in my opinion, because it was such an interesting and unusual play style. It was unusual champion picks. It was unusual strategy. It was going to take G2 a few moments, a game or two, to really understand how this goes. And I know everyone was saying in the broadcast, oh, you know, G2's had two weeks to prepare for this. They, you know, got all this, you know, tape that they can watch. And I'm like, blah, blah, blah. It's entirely different playing against something. You can you can game plan, you can watch as many VODs as you want, but anytime you do and you play against something that you're not used to, it takes a little while to get used to it. It takes a little while to figure out all the intricacies and all the little ins and outs and all the subtle little weaknesses that you can exploit. Um, that being said, I thought that Fnatic wasn't necessarily stubborn, but they realized we are, talent-wise, way below where G2 is. So we need to do whatever cheesy little thing we can do. And I know you look at the Kale and you go, oh, you know, blind pick-wise, I'm not too high on it. But in all honesty, what was Perks going to pick into it? That, you know, it's whatever Caps felt comfortable with. And if he felt comfortable playing Kale into uh, into uh, an Echo or into an Oriana, like, I think the Cassiopeia sort of surprised them. That's not something that Perks has shown he's really amazing at. Um, so it was a good pick by G2, but at the end of the day, I thought Fnatic stuck with what was good for them and, and tried to make G2 play their style, and G2 just said, nah, fam, we've got a three-time MVP, sorry, two-time, more than likely three-time MVP in Trick, and he was just able to leverage a lot of the map and a lot of the the tempo of the game back into G2's favor, uh, especially in games three and four. So it was a really good showing from Fnatic. On the other hand... Misfits. Yes. I'm very curious of where you sit on Misfits because I'm I was not high on them after that series. I was high am on I, one person. Am I supposed to know where to put Misfits after this? What what did we This is the thing about Unicorns of Love that makes them both exhilarating and infuriating. <laughs> like what were the first two games of the series? Game 1, Unicorns of Love gets so far ahead and then they almost blow it but then they come back and, and crush and win it and then in game two misfits dominates the early game and then ends up getting crushed in the mid to late game i i, I don't it was such a weird kind of balance of you know when they were able to figure things out when they really struggled to figure things out I think that the big flaw that we were worried about going into this series ended up being a huge problem for them, especially in game one. They got two barons and weren't able to do anything meaningful with it because they don't know how to manage their waves properly. And that's a huge problem. When you're not able to take those objectives and turn small victories into big ones, you give the enemy time to figure it out. Now, the, the good news for them is I think overall their early game was pretty solid. I, I think that Certainly, Alfari is a very good laning top laner. You saw in Game 3 on his cannon, he was rather impressive in terms of getting those early roams, getting some really nice maelstroms down uh, to really turn the uh, early to mid transition uh, as nice as they wanted it to be. Uh, Power of Evil looked great this whole series. He was the one guy who I thought was, you know, had an argument to be you know, one of the two best guys on the Rift in most of these games. He really uh, outplayed, I, I believe, Exile in all but the last game. And that's not to say Exile didn't play well. He played very well. But I feel very justified in the fact that I had Power of Evil as my first team all-pro mid laner after that performance. I thought that even in losing efforts, he looked very impressive. I did not think that Corky was going to work in game one, and he proved that it did have a I, I, I saw Corky, and I was like, uh, what? 
what are you doing? Why are you playing Corky? And it was just something where it feels like Misfits is just constantly playing a, a, a day behind. They're, they're a patch behind. They're a day behind. They're a champion behind in the meta. And it's just very weird. It's not like yes. Fnatic where they're doing something and they're playing something that hasn't been in the meta at all lately. Tristana, Twitch, 10 and 80 carry. These are specialty picks that they're really pulling out to throw teams off balance. Like, everybody played against Corky at the beginning of the split. Everyone's played against mid-Corky. Like, we mm. know how to deal with the mid-Corky, and it just seems like Misfits is a step behind when it comes to their strategy. But at the end of the day, like you said, Power of Evil is the second-best player on the Rift for three out of these four games. And that, that Lulu in Game 3 was filthy, just for the record. That was just... I was love me some mid-Lulu. I love me mid-Lulu. I, I believe the way, you know, we have our friend uh, Sean O'Connor and Zoldak on the forums, if you ever see him out on Reddit or whatever else, and the way he's like, you know, that was that was filthy to the extent that Power of Evil should feel bad. Like, they killed mid-Lulu for a reason, Power of Evil. This was not supposed to be a thing that could happen anymore. You monster. You yeah, absolute but if, but if anybody was going to bring back mid-Lulu in the West, it was going to be Power of Evil because Zamfira just isn't a player anymore. And if anyone <laughs> understands that reference... I, I love you. If you understand the Zamfira reference, I love you. That being said, this is a matchup between two teams that just weren't quite good enough to beat the number one and number two teams. So I got to ask you this question, Chase. Are Misfits and Fnatic the third and fourth best teams in Europe? Uh, I would say, given the way that we saw in the quarterfinals, I'd say yes. I mean, I always thought that, that Misfits were certainly a, a top four team. I think that they struggled mightily towards the end of the stretch, uh, mostly because they, they were really, like, we, like you mentioned, behind in terms of the patch. They didn't have pick and ban phases that made a lot of sense to people like you and I who watch you know, pick and ban from all across the world. But, you know, you can make the argument whether they were hiding things or not. I don't particularly buy into it, but certainly... Uh, you know, they had a lot of elements that I thought could come to the forefront. And we saw, you know, Han Sama is still a very good player. Uh, Power of Evil has been a monster throughout the playoffs, like we said, even in those losing efforts. Alfari is still that laning top laner that is able to impact the map going forward. So I, I certainly believe that they've justified that. I think Fnatic, it, it's been very interesting to watch their rise and i guess whether you consider them a top four team depends on what you value obviously they beat h2k three nothing straight up but i think h2k would have crushed mischievous for instance yeah. I, I think that h2k is like a like a factory where they just have this you know you go through here's step one you, you get the yanko skank and that gets this part going and then you know the gears just keep turning and turning and it's this very difficult machine to stop once it gets going but Fnatic just said, we're not going to let you play that way. We're, we're going to disrupt things and we're going to force you to adapt. So if you value that at adaptation, I think that Fnatic is certainly there. I, I think that uh, Soaz in particular is a liability and from a talent perspective, I think that that's a, a weakness that I, I think they absolutely have to address. He's just not the guy they need him to be right now. He's dying too often. He's making too many laning mistakes. Uh, and he's not focusing on little things like vision, which you just cannot afford to do when you have tendencies to like to push up in lane. Uh, Jez's, I have mixed feelings about as well. I love seeing his support Camille. I, I thought the way he used some of those ults to, uh, you know, ensure tower dives would be successful were very intelligent. Uh, I think mechanically he might not be there. It reminds me of, uh, to a certain extent, how Yellowstar was in his last year or so, where you could tell, like, he still knew what he was doing, but he couldn't mechanically figure it out and, and compete in that way. I'm, I'm, 
I'm gonna pop the brakes on you real quick because this is this is Jez's first competitive LCS split as a support. So I'm willing to give him a second a second split. I get where you're coming sure. from. I get where you're coming from. I understand it. But dude, he played Annie. He pulled yeah, out freaking Annie. It was Who cares? I do. He pulled it. No, no, no. Annie, Annie worked for the large majority of that early game. It was him making a ton of plays okay. with flash tibbers. The problem is, and they said it on the broadcast, Annie falls off tremendously if you aren't building straight AP and can just one-shot someone in the late game. And that was the problem. They were using it as a supplementary pick, a secondary pick to the Zyra. That was the entire point was... Okay, what does Zyra do really well? Well, she has a couple of AOE, you know, crowd control abilities. All right, who else can we do that that has a really oppressive, you know, long-range sort of uh, early game that you can do in laning phase and then transition into this mid-game pick AOE CC? Annie, we can use that champion. Like, I'm going to give Jezzes all the credit in the world for going and playing Fiddlestick support and Annie support and Camille support and all these weird oddball supports. Maybe he's not perfect. No support in Europe was perfect. They were all pretty damn mediocre this split. I put Hillisong as first team all pro support. That should tell you something. Yeah, I so don't. tells me some things. I'm not sure if they're the things you wanted to tell. Yo, but you know what? You're, ride the you're rainbow, the guy who man. Likes Kiwi Kid. So you know, I'm just gonna say like that, you have Yes! This is like this <laughs> Europe was just Kiwi Kid on steroids this split. That's all their supports were. We're like, I'm gonna make a play. It might not be the right play, but I'm gonna make a play. So Sure. Okay. I mean, that's. I mean, that's fine. If you want to give Jez's credit for that, that's fine. Yeah, I, I am. I'm going to give him credit for that. I'm not just gonna, you sure. know. Once again, it comes down to what you value. Certainly, oh, Fnatic have shown a lot more versatility, and from that angle, they are certainly a top four team in terms yeah. of the different types of strategies, the multitude of strategies, and how they can switch in between, kind of on a dime. That's valuable in its own way. So, so yeah, I think this is a. You know, I think. I, I don't think either of these is a fluke. I'll put it that way. I think that both of these teams deserve to be in the third place match. I think both of them have earned their circuit points. I, I think that we're going to have to look at the offseason to see how, you know, Fnatic tries to adapt, how H2K tries to adapt, what coaching decisions happen. Uh, Yamato Cannon is a free agent now. And while Soaz hates him, openly hates him, again, I'm not sure Soaz is going to be around next split. So that would be, that'd be a thing that you could point to as a potential, you know, so I, I'm not going to say whether they're going to be the third or fourth place team next split, but I do believe they deserve to be here. I do believe this is going to be a fun match, and I'm very much looking forward to seeing how some of these individual matchups work out. Chase, I am, uh, I'm up a point right now in, in our guest lines competition. You really need to win both of these to, yeah. you know, to, to take the championship away from me that I won at Worlds. Uh, last week, we went two uh, two and two on our bets. Neither of our Fnatic bets came through, but both of our Unicorns of Love bets came through. Uh, that made us $29. So we are now at minus $66 in Europe with just these two matches. So we need to make some money back, Chase. Yes. Where do you think the line is for Fnatic versus Misfits? Well, I, I went back and forth on how I thought the, the line was going to go. Ultimately... When I looked at last week's lines, I thought the Misfits was getting uh, a little bit more credit against Unicorns of Love. I, I felt like that line, we, we both agreed, was 
much lower than we thought it would be. So that's got to be in, uh, in Misfits' favor. Uh, certainly, I, I think that Misfits should be the favorites here. I, I uh -huh. think that Power of Evil should be the best guy on the Rift throughout this entire series with Reckless, you know, go, neck and neck uh, going for that. It's going to be very close. I think they both add a lot of different things. I, I think that uh, Reckless's desire to, you know, have that ingenuity is starting to come back to haunt him. You don't need to build Frozen Mallet every game, buddy. I appreciate the loyalty. Yes, he does. He's Reckless. He has to build it every game. Sure, but then don't be surprised when I say the Power of Evil is going to be, might be the best guy on the Rift in this series. I, I think it's going to be very close. Uh, I have it at Misfits minus one seventy. Well, Chase, uh, you don't you don't start out the week very well. Uh -oh. uh, I chose Misfits minus one sixty. Okay. Because uh, I thought that's a pretty good number. I, I didn't want to go as low as minus one fifty because I didn't want to give Fnatic too much credit. But I thought anything higher would be just not respecting them. So I I, I chose Misfits minus one sixty. It is Misfits minus 143. Uh, okay. That puts Fnatic at plus 110. Not uh, that's a, a ton of value. I mean, that's... I mean, I still think Fnatic could easily win this series. Oh, I, 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 mean, I do. If we're talking about Misfits being one patch behind and, and Fnatic seeming like they're like three patches ahead in some alternate universe... Ah, the Genja galaxy. strategy. The Genja I strategy, mean, of course. Do we know that Misfits knows how to adapt to that? Certainly they weren't able to adapt to what Unicorns of Love were throwing at them this week. So I, I that think that there's true. a reasonable argument there. That is uh, what true. are What are some of the other lines, Walter? Let's uh, What other smart money so, bets could we look into? So if you think Misfits are going to win the series, if you think they win... 3-1 or better, it's at plus 150. If you think they have just a righteous sweep, it's plus 450. Um, and the the maps, five maps is at plus 165. Uh, 165 for five maps? 165 for five maps. I think, I think maybe taking Fnatic and taking five maps is probably yeah. the way to I, I, go, but I, I like... I mean, last week we remembered, like, week one, we were like, oh, man, these five map bets, they're so great. And then last week we are like, actually, this is the least fun bet in all of esports. And I don't know why we do this to ourselves. Because but... they just give you such good odds on five yeah. maps. And especially when teams are so evenly balanced, it's just like, yeah, of course this could go to five games. Like, Yeah, I don't know who believes they have the confidence to say, like, oh, yeah, this is clearly going to go in one side or the other. See, here's the thing. I think the series is such a four-game series. I just don't know which way it goes. Yeah, that's kind of that. Right. That's the issue is I just don't know which way it goes. Well, let, let's sit on it. We'll come back to uh, our, our smart money bets later. I want to, you know, we don't necessarily have to take two lines in this. We did two last week for each game. Because there, there were some really good lines for both yeah. of those games last week. So. We, we might, yeah. you know, I, maybe we only take one for this week. So, so let's go over uh, G2 versus UOL. Yes. Uh, see if there's more value there. Absolutely. We're going to go ahead and talk about G2 versus Unicorns of Love. But before we get to our thoughts... We're going to go to some of the super vans for both of those teams. So I'm going to send it over to my good friend, Walter C80's Fedchuck, who has a couple of Unicorns of Love super fans and members of the Love Hurts fan club. So Walter, take it away. Well, thank you, Walter, for that, that starling introduction. Yes, I am here, as always, with Chase Redshirt King Wassener and two new faces on the Rough Drafts podcast screen we have Bianca Rocca Piper, a cosplayer and the PR person for the Love Hurts fan club, and Felix Wolfie Wolf, the second chairman for the Love Hurts fan club.
Guys, welcome to the show. How are you doing today? Hey. Yeah, I'm doing awesome. Well, we invited you guys on here because there's four teams across Europe and North America that will be competing in LCS championships this weekend. And we wanted to invite super fans onto the show just to get their thoughts and, uh, <laughs> exactly, to get their thoughts and to just, you know, see why they're fans of this team, why we should care about these teams going into the finals. So I guess just our very first question is, why are you a fan of the Unicorns of Love? Uh, well, for most of us, it was, we, we came into esports and, you know, I, I knew nothing about esports and thought, oh, it's pretty familiar and just groups of friends playing together and oh family friendship woo <laughs> yeah and uh, then there were those huge organizations like Fnatic and Origin and oh what what is this what is happening and basically just like traditional sports buying players uh, that are really really good but not so much uh, depending on the bonds between the players. Mm -hmm. And yeah, then we went to LCS for the first time in 2015. And it was a Unicorns game. And it just hit us right in the face. (laughs) (laughs) Because they are basically really, they, they started out as a group of friends fighting their way into the LCS. And that's what makes them so, yeah lovable to us <laughs> yeah for me it was the quite funny actually i was the one getting her into league of legends you know when we started dating i was always playing and she's like yeah i've tried the game before but <laughs> yeah but then 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 i got her into it and then i came home one day from uni and she was watching lcs and i was on the on the point you know why would i watch other people play if i could play myself right but then i started watching with her and i was like oh that's actually quite interesting and you know trying out stuff you shouldn't be trying out in solo queue, but yeah. And, and she's like, oh, you know, it's in Berlin and only costs 10 euro, let's, let's go there. And then we watched the unicorns and I actually got way more into LCS with all the tactics and stuff. And, you know, then the unicorns just threw all that overboard and still somehow won. And then, you know, that always fascinated me. The solo queue ah, magic. Ah, <laughs> yes. Jungle Twisted Fate. As a diehard yes. TSM fan, I still have nightmares over Kickus. Flash Bear Slap. <laughs> Flash Bear Slap. Ah, it's... Man. It's, it's If you've ever been to the EU LCS, and I was lucky enough to go twice, like, I, I think everyone, when they see a Unicorns of Love game, has that kind of reaction. It's just, it, there's nothing quite like it you know there are other teams you know that obviously have their fan bases but unicorns of love fans go crazy like it is a big deal when the unicorns are playing they've got the signs they've got cheers the, everyone's got the hats going on like there's a dedication that i think is kind of hard to to explain if you're not if you don't understand like you said that kind of family aspect of it that's something that yos when we had him on the show uh, a few months back, you know, really emphasize this whole idea of, you know, they stuck together and they really do focus on those kinds of, of synergies with each other. And it, it promotes, I think, a different kind of fandom. And that's turned into the Love Hurts crew, which has obviously become, you know, this huge thing. It's the largest fan club in the West in, in esports, as far as I know. Um, so how did you guys uh, get into that side of things? And how did that kind of grow and, and become this you know, huge thing. Uh, actually, it kind of started with me 
Mm. Because I uh, I saw a cosplayer at Worlds in 2015 in Berlin, and she was wearing a TSM Jinx. And I thought, wow, that's some dedication. And I want to do this as well. And so I came up with my unicorn Slovakia and yeah, I wore her to LCS. And then I was obviously a Unicorns fan and people would come up to me and say, oh, I'm also a fan, let's watch together and sit together and stuff. And then we started a, a WhatsApp group for all the members so we could just uh, say when we are coming and who's going to sit where and who should save seats and everything. And yeah, that was just how it started. And then someone, I don't quite know who it was, but someone came up with the idea, let's just make this official. It's just the the paper for it. We basically have the fan club already. And yeah, so we just did it, kind of. <laughs> <laughs> the main reason why we made it official was the money aspect of it. Oh, yeah. Because we, wanted, we were like, oh, we want to get a banner, or we want to get some posters and some stuff for people and then you know people would be like yeah i'll pay it you pay me back and you know with a big organization that stuff tends to get out of hand really quickly right so people start running around and like oh you owe me that and we're like let's just make it official so we can have like an official bank account where we just buy unicorn stuff with and then we figured the best way to do that would be to make it official and obviously we had to ask the unicorns at some points not that they're like oh no we don't want you and then you know we're like oh well, that's yeah, that, that, that was uh, one of the first things we did. It was, uh, uh, we, we did a cosplay event. Initially, we wanted to do a cosplay battle against Fnatic when we played against Fnatic uh, last year. Mm -hmm. But, yeah, for, no one turned up for Fnatic. <laughs> <laughs> well, then. Uh, so, so, kind of screw this battle stuff. And, uh, yeah, but we, we got to meet the unicorns afterwards and asked them officially if they'd be okay with us becoming their official fan club. And then we went to the government, you know, <laughs> the hard part. You gotta, gotta, gotta pay the tax, man. It's, it's funny that you guys, as a group, I look at Unicorns Love fans, and, like, this is the first year that I've actually looked at them and said, okay, this is this is a good team in Europe. It, it's time for me to stop just being like, oh, like every other analyst, like, okay, they play chaos style. Like there's very high variance on them. Like whatever, I'm, you know, they're a mediocre team. And this is the first time that I said they really have something special here in Cheapy System and the players they bring in. And I was really excited for Exile, this split. And I was ready to give Chachi and Hillisan their dues, like the entire thing. Um... And the fan base around it, the way you guys talk on Twitter and on the Facebook group and just everything reminds me just of European football fans that just die hard. The unicorns of love chants. Anytime you guys are playing, it's almost overpowering. Like you can't hear the TSM chants anymore, which is kind of funny. Yes. It's, it's like overpowering the level of, of support and, and love you guys have for this, for this team. Um, at the end of the day, you know, what does being a unicorns of love fan mean to you? I think it's in the name, you know, Love Hurts, especially with the Unicorns in the beginning, you're like, they, they win against the high-ranking teams in like convincing fashions and then they screw up, well they used to screw up in so, so frustrating ways, but you're like, well I'm not here for the fame, I'm here for for them. And I think especially with, with the players and, and Roma, 
the family feeling you get with the team. I used to, it's funny that you say soccer or football, because I used to be a, quite a big football fan here in, in Berlin for one of the three teams. And I got, I, I kind of got disappointed in the end because you just, you're just one of the football fans. You have nothing to do with the team. Mm -hmm. The team wouldn't give, they don't care about you, really. And then you go to the Unicorns and, you know, Roma's like, oh, great to see you. And you talk to Shachi and you talk to, to you know, Exile and talk to all of them more as if you would talk to friends, not, you know, well, you know, not to players or star team. So I think that's one of the biggest things for me. Yeah. What he said. <laughs> I mean, and, and and that has inspired this loyalty. And, you know, Walter just mentioned how loud it's going to be. I have to imagine in Hamburg especially, because I know a lot of the Love Hurts crew are based in Germany. Like, this is almost going to be a home game for you guys, if you were to use the typical sports analogy. It seems like, you know, Mithy has to go on and make a quote about, like, hey, please like us. We're working hard, guys. And meanwhile, Unicorns of Love are like, yeah, we've got a giant fan club, and we're about to play in one of our home cities, essentially. It should be kind of that interesting dynamic. How do you think that plays into the series? Like, do you think that's something that the unicorns are going to feed off of? Like, how do you, how does that how do you think that translates into how they're going to perform here? I think I think they do feed off it because they know we are there no matter what they do. Even if they if they should make a mistake, it doesn't mean we stop chanting because that. I've I've noted that noticed that for football and for other fan clubs and for other fans in in esports, you know, if a team's winning, you have the chance. But if a team starts losing, everyone is kind of just quiet. Right. And I think that's discouraging for the players because they know they made a mistake, but the unicorns still know we're there. And I think for the opposing team, it could be quite intimidating to know, you know, there is this huge fan organization behind the unicorns, and they're always there. And even if the other team plays good, it doesn't mean the chants are going to ch change. It might just get louder. Yeah, and it's it's not like we could just stop being there because, you know, we, we have registered this fan club and just stopping would mean a lot of work and paper. <laughs> <laughs> the paperwork is, is always the, the killer at the end of it. I don't know if you've ever played <laughs> Papers, Please, but that's how they get you in the end. It's, you don't fill out the right paperwork. Um, <laughs> Obviously, you're playing against G2. You're playing against a team that has won the last two European LCS championships. They have ran through Europe in a dominant fashion. They had their, you know, 400-day undefeated streak that was uh, broken by Chase's favorite team, Rocket. What, <laughs> what makes you nervous about the series? What do you? What's going to keep you up the night before? Going, oh God, G2. It's G2. Oh God, it's. What's the one thing that worries you? Their ability to punish mistakes, and and the unicorns like doing mistakes that aren't necessary. So so I think it's it's going to be really hard, but I think we have a chance. And I think the strongest thing about G two is that the mid laner used to be a unicorns guy. I mean, obviously that's why he's so strong. There's no other reason. For it. <laughs> um, but no, I think to be serious, it's their ability to punish mistakes and to read the plays the opponent is doing and to know where to be when. And I think when not to take fights, because that's something, even though they got way better at, the unicorns still, I think, struggle. Sometimes it seems they fight because they just want to fight, and I think G2 is one of the teams that will punish that. I'm not nervous at all. 
Nice. Okay. <laughs> because, uh, you know, um, Unicorns lost against G2 this split. And the reason why is because only one of the fan club was there. In Hamburg, we are going to be a lot more people. <laughs> so, not nervous at all. <laughs> so, 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 Bianca thinks it's a 3 0. Right? Is that, is that what you're saying? 3-0, like 20-minute surrenders, all three games. We're going to be out of there in an hour and a half. We'll be at the pub drinking with Chachi afterwards. No, no, no. <laughs> no not, not like this. It's going to be hard games, of course. It's never easy. And the unicorns themselves say they never take a game easy. And that's the way you should play it. But I think they have very decent chances to win this. They have been getting better now for quite a while and when they lost against G2 back in the split, they just had some kind of a yeah, down, the IEM sinkhole, <laughs> don't know what to call it, but yeah, it was just meh. And to be fair, yeah, Hamburg's going to be great. And I, I do feel like the fact that G2 are, are 2-0 and on the year over Unicorns of Love, both at IEM and then the week after in the EULCS, I actually think that plays a little bit to UL's favor. It's really hard to beat a team three times. Like, it's very hard. Like, Unicorns of Love have all this film now. It's like, okay, well, this is what they did to beat us last time. So now we know what to fix. You know, they've done a lot of work on their early game before. So I, I think that they're, they're in a much better place than they were in those two series. And... I think it's going to be very close. I, I still go back and forth on my prediction uh, every couple of hours now. I, it's just one of those series that's going to be, you know, so many different factors are going to make up for uh, how it works out. Uh, where do you guys think it ends up? If you had to make a prediction, where do you see this going? Uh, three to two for Unicorns. Yeah, I would say first game is going to be a dominating victory from the Unicorns because they'll take G2 off guard. Mm -hmm. And then it's probably going to be the next two games that G2 is just going to out-macro them. And it's going to be like a really strangling victory where they just take towers after towers without much counterplay. And I think, I don't know how the fourth game is going to go, but I think the last game is just going to be super crazy. I'm guessing a base phase or open nexus or something like that. <laughs> That would be awesome. <laughs> if, we win. if we win. If we win, of course. Yeah. You're going to win. Yeah, I mean, obviously we're going to win. <laughs> That's fair. Well, Bianca, Felix, thank you guys so much for joining us. Uh, before we get to Chase and my predictions, we have to talk to the other side and one of their super fans. So I'm going to throw it over to Walter, and we're going to go talk to Hack about G2 Esports. Thanks, Walter, for that insightful interview with some actual Unicorn of Love super fans. I'm here not with Chase Wassenaar. He is off in the real world doing real things. But I am here with uh, our good friend Heck, who, despite the fact I introduced him on the Unicorns of Love interview as a super fan, is not, in fact, a, a G2 super fan. Is that correct, Heck? Not a super fan. Not a super big, fan. Big fan. I enjoy the organization. I love some of the players, but not a super fan. So, so what prevents you from being a super fan of the team then? Because it seems we, we looked around trying to find people, and for Unicorns of Love, easy to find super fans. For TSM, Cloud9, easy to find super fans. Spoiler, those are the two teams that we're doing in North America. But for G2, 
we had a really hard time trying to find someone willing to say, yes, I am a diehard super fan of G2 Esports. So why do you think that is? Um, there's several ways to look at it as to why G2 doesn't have a massive or as inclusive fan base as some of the other organizations do. One of the main things is the way they brand themselves. For example, Unicorns of Love is the perfect example, right? They're just a fun brand name. They look like they have fun. They love fun. One of their um, staff people uh, dresses as one of the unicorns, an important game. <laughs> he actually interacts with people. That shows that, hey, look, this organization isn't doesn't take itself too seriously. You know, the people love to have fun there. And it comes across that way to the fans. People love, um, you know, casual uh uh, organizations that they can latch on to be like, yeah, I like these guys. I am just like these guys. We, I also like to have fun in very serious situations. So it, it's easier for them. And then you get on to teams like TSM and Fnatic who have the longevity, who have been here for long enough for stories to develop amongst players, amongst um, uh, personas. And in Fnatic's case, for example, the success across multiple esports, the name, like it's something you look up to. Mm -hmm. That's something also people like to have. Then you have uh, CLG, like like TSM, CLG as well, longevity. They've been around for as long as people can remember about League of Legends esports. They're a name you recognize. Even if you don't watch or have heard of League of Legends esports, those are teams that you could still maybe have heard of okay. in some way or form. Hell, yeah, the Razor Mat I have had... Afromu's face on it when I went to buy it. And it was cool to see. And then there's teams who garner fan bases because of their stories, such as Splice. I like to think of Splice as that kind of team because Splice started with just five friends uh, competing in the Challenger series under Dignitas EU. Mm -hmm. They have this good, amazing story where like, they were coached by Broken Shard and they managed to actually make it in. And then when they were picked up by, a, by another organization, their first year they fell flat. They weren't really up for the challenge, maybe. They, you could tell that there were big, big issues with some of their players. But the next year came around, the same, the same five players. I think Mickey X changed. Did Mickey yeah. X? Yeah, that was the, the one change. That was the like one the change. One change. The one change. And then all of a sudden this team is like, okay, I can see where they're improving now. They're playing better. They're understanding each better. The calls are clear. They're like, okay, this is a very good story I can latch on to. G2 has some good stories, has some good lighthearted in its organization, but it's nowhere near to any of the point of the other teams. It's like it has a little bit of everything. And the problem with G2 is that they've never presented themselves in a way that people could instantly recognize as okay i understand 100 percent these guys and i'm fully supporting them and i don't think that's necessarily their fault because they're trying to present themselves themselves as professionals as the game comes first mm -hmm. as opposed to the fan base comes first okay which is how you should tackle league of legends esports or any esports for that matter the game comes first but that's not what most of the fan bases in the West are looking for. That makes sense. Okay. Okay, yeah, that, that actually does. That's a, that's a very good point because when you look back at how G2 
the story of G2 coming into the LCS was a lot of failure at first when they were in the Challenger series. It was, they originally started when Ocelot was on the team, and they were referred to as Gamers 2. And, you know, all these trials and error, and they couldn't get the right players around. Yuki60, uh, who plays on Misfits Academy, was on that roster. And then eventually they finally got a roster that included Perks and Kickass and a few other players that made it into the LCS. Uh, I think Emperor was on the team. And then yes. they, like, made changes. And the players that were in that initial split, they got changed out. And that's when you added in Trick and Mythy and Zven. And then it does seem like it's very much there's this massive disconnect from the beginning of the organization to now. And the only thing they really have going for them is, you know, we went 400 days without winning a series, without, you know, losing a series in Europe. We're two-time defending EU LCS champions. We had, you know, the two-time MVP. It seems that all of their story now is purely about the current success of the roster, but that's not enough to garner sort of fan support around them or, or you know, as massive a fan support as a, a Unicorns of Love or a TSM or even a CLG. What do you think they need to do? Like, what, what do you think would be an easy fix for them to kind of garner some of these sort of super fans? I think that's the problem. I think trying to find a fix would be a bigger hindrance than it would be help towards the organization. Right now, I'd like to actually use an analogy from wrestling because you and I are wrestling fans. Yes. And that's where, that's where this conversation will go. And I like to compare it to the Randy Orton effect. Okay. Why? Randy Orton is insanely talented. Mm -hmm. He's been so from day one to, to where he is now. And at his peak of popularity, he was the bad guy. Yeah. But there was nothing special to him ever. Like, he was just good. That's Like, his shtick as a good guy was he is just good in the ring. Mm -hmm. That's what he does. And he goes kind of crazy here and there. Why never? Why did Randy Orton never ascend to the same popularity Cena or Triple H or Shawn Michaels was? Because there was nothing else to him that you hadn't seen before. Mm -hmm. There was nothing that gave you a connection. And that's kind of where G2 is right now. There's nothing to the organization that you haven't seen before, right? You have seen organizations come from Challenger. They have been immediately successful. They've made it to the top. You have seen organizations being dominant, such as Fnatic, having several spits in a row. Right. You've seen you've seen players transfer from team to team. Good players leave one team to join the other, make that team instantly better. You've seen players move roles. You've seen players coming from, uh, like, superstar mid laners coming from Challenger and then actually performing on stage. You've also seen what I like to call the EDG effect, which is two splits of dominance to just flunk at Worlds. Mm -hmm. that you've seen that too like there's nothing in g2 story that it has that is new ground so that's one thing that they should try and tackle maybe new ground find something that maybe no other team has done in the past that would make you unique such as uol has their branding their branding is very unique it's something you we nobody could replicate effectively right it was a lightning bolt it was brilliant timing with a brilliant naming and honestly at this point uol might be one of the most recognizable brands in EU simply because of their name. Yeah. yeah. Aside from that, aside from that, um, there is the point of G2 taking away Sven and Mithy from Origin. The, la the effect that had is a lot more long-lasting than people want to give credit for because Origin's fan base was absolutely rabid and still is. Yeah. 
Yep. <laughs> like, especially the Spanish portion of that audience is absolutely relentless. Mithy gets, like, a thousand tweets a day. Like, it's still to this day, after, like, a year and a half, or almost two years, actually, of yeah. having left that organization, having mentioned that he had good times on that organization, but that he wanted to progress in his career, even despite that, he still gets uh, messages saying he's a traitor, that he shouldn't have left, that whatever's happening to Origin is partly his fault, mm -hmm. which is not true. And that kind of image that you create for yourself as a bad guy, as a person who doesn't have the it factor, who doesn't have the necessary charisma to make yourself uh, different enough so that people will want to latch onto you, make you the big star that you may deserve to be, is just simply not there. Okay. So do you, do you think G2... It, it seems like there's been times where they've sort of tried to go in on this sort of we're, we're the bad guys theme. I know Perks did it, and when they... They failed at MSI. He sort of backed off of it because, you know, they failed on the international stage, and that's what a lot of fans care about more. But do you think inside of Europe they should just, especially if they beat Unicorns of Love this week, um, they would then have beaten Orien, which at the time was a, a fan-loved organization with, with Soaz and Peke and, and, like you said, that rabid sort of Spanish fan base. Um, and that was a, a big win for Ocelot, who had, you know, a number of battles against both Peke, a fellow Spaniard, and against Soaz when they were on Fnatic and he was on SK. Um, then, like you said, you talked about Splice, and they had this great sort of upstart um, underdog story where they had a terrible spring split and then came out and had a great summer split, and G2 beat them in the finals. And then wouldn't you think if they beat Unicorns of Love, another one of these sort of rabid fan bases, really good starting story of, you know, friends... Shouldn't they just go in that direction of, nah, we don't care about friendship. Like, yeah, all those cute stories are good and all. We're just about winning. And if that makes us bad guys, <laughs> so be it. Do you think that might be their sort of angle? Oh, absolutely. That'd be amazing. That'd be the best single angle that you could make in League of Legends. The problem is it's not as simple as it sounds, right? Mm -hmm. Because like we say about rabid fan bases... I'm not sure players are ready to deal with full mental pissed off fan bases mm -hmm. if they were to go full heel, full bad guy, full. Right. I don't care about you, the fans. I'm here for my own success. Right. That I don't think anyone in League of Legends Esport really is ready to deal with the kind of backlash you would get. Because mm -hmm. on one side, you would be the most hated person in the entire community and this is a community of millions like there's right. a lot of people yeah. and these guys are kids most of these aren't even not even what 22 yeah. most of them are younger yep. like they've never they've never had to deal with 15 people disliking them at once <laughs> let alone 400,000 <laughs> that's fair on the flip side though the notoriety of being the bad guys that would just blow up like everyone would be talking bad but they would be talking you would probably uh, get more I don't want to say sympathy but you would uh, be like people would recognize that yes you do not care about what others think you're just going for your success like people would recognize that and everyone would have an opinion on how you see it mm -hmm. but that's a good thing everyone would have an opinion it wouldn't just be like 30% of the fans are like, yeah, I like G2. They're, they're cool. 
or like 70% of the fans would be, no, I don't like the kind of boring. No, no, no. You'd have everyone talking about you. Mm-hmm. You'd have, you would, and you would, there would be a segment that, I, it, you bring up wrestling, like there's a segment of people that are all about, um, about like Kevin Owens or Samoa Joe, where their entire shtick mainly has been, I just win. Kevin Owens is, I started out, I'm the prize fighter. And then, obviously did his thing with Jericho where he's funny, but Samoa Joe, the destroyer, like that entire concept of, we don't care about other people's opinions. We just care about winning. We care about, you know, for them, it's beating up people, but here it's actually winning titles, going on these undefeated streaks, having MVP awards. Like we care about our trophy cabinet. I think, you know, there would be some fans out there that, while they might not like watching Unicorns of Love lose, they do understand that, you know, there is a, a type of, uh, historic legacy that G2 is building by being on such a dominant run, which I think could appeal to a small segment of the fan base, which then would turn them into these super fans of like, yeah, sure, they don't care about branding, they don't stream that much, but you know what? Three titles in their trophy case looks really, really nice, doesn't it? So exactly. I think that's an interesting point. Exactly. Like, if you... I, I want to think, think that the biggest reason this doesn't happen is because fans don't actually want to boo when they're at the studio mm-hmm. if fans actually booed and like you know got pissed off at the studio at their team losing and whoever they're losing against if that were to happen the entertainment value of league of legends would increase significantly how cool would it be that every time trick kills a ward there's like a portion of the audience just booing right how cool would that be like how great would it be to see exile just completely 1v1 kill perks and everybody goes ballistic Mm -hmm. and on the flip side when perks actually manages to get a kill like half of the audience is like boo no we don't want you no don't do that that would be amazing that would Mm -hmm. turn league esports into actual good entertainment as opposed to just the games are the entertainment Mm -hmm. how cool is the stadium chanting someone's name yeah it's amazing well, I think this weekend in Hamburg, Germany, sort of the, the home base of the Malat family, uh. the owner and the coach of Unicorns of Love, Sheepy and Jos Malant, I feel like we might fir- get our first interaction between G2 and an openly hostile crowd. Uh, heck, we asked the Unicorns of Love fans their predictions. Where do you think the series, what, what's sort of your prediction for this series? How do you think it goes? I think it goes 3-1. Uh, in favor of G2. Okay. I do think that overall G2's team is just stronger. Hmm. They unicorns will have good uh, good power in the mid lane. They have good. Um, they have a, an amazing top laner Vizzy Chachi. Mm-hmm. And I do think that if they exploit the weaknesses of Expect, they could probably make a game happen. But at the same time, once that exploitation happens, G2 will adapt to make sure that only has happened once. And Trick will definitely not allow it to happen twice. So I'm going 3-1 for G2. All right. Well, thank you so much, Heck. You've heard the super fans' opinions on how the series go. I'm going to throw it back over to Walter C80's Fedchuk and Chase Redshirt King Wassener to get their views on the series and their smart money picks for the weekend. So, Walter, back to you, buddy. Thanks so much, Walter, for those uh, super insightful interviews. I'm back with Chase Redshirt King here on the main desk. 
and I'm back because I wasn't yeah. there for the heck interview. That is true. He it's he amazing. disappeared for like 15 minutes. Uh, reality sort of set in, and he was just like, I can't. I I the rainbow is too blinding. I can't even live in a world where G2 might win this series. But Chase, we're gonna talk about a world where G2 might win this series. So, G2 versus Unicorns of Love. Your thoughts after their their semifinal matches. Which team do you think looked stronger? Ooh, that is an interesting question. I, I think that both of these teams showed some pretty clear flaws to me. Uh, if I had to say one was stronger, I, I'd say probably G2. You know, the thing about when, when it comes to Unicorns of Love, they're always on that little precipice where it's, you know, anytime, you know, you can have, you know, the way it worked in, in game one where the Unicorns of Love were so far ahead and then, Misfits came back, and then Unicorns of Love had to hold them off. Game two, Unicorns of Love fell so far behind and then managed to go through. We didn't really see that as much from G2. Uh, once the early game kind of calmed down, and in game one, obviously, it kind of took them off guard, it, it felt like they knew what they needed to do. I, I think the way that Deficio put it was, was a very apt way of describing it, where it was almost perfect setup. And a lot of these things, obviously, the two Baron deals were not ideal, but they were very little mistakes that they were making. Uh, the problem with that, though, is that they are little mistakes, and those cracks in the armor can come back to haunt these guys. I was very concerned, for example, with Game 4, where G2 were actually behind in kills. They weren't taking very good fights. I, I don't understand why the Ash pick was necessarily a thing. Sven's certainly good on, on the champion, but it just it, it doesn't really do as much. Nowadays, it doesn't play to their skill set, I think, right now, where the meta is. Uh, Expect did not play up to the standard I expected. Um, it was very interesting to see, even as Soaz was kind of falling down, you know, how much time and attention that Trick and, and Perks and even Mithy to a certain extent had to spend on that top lane because he wasn't winning lane on his own. He wasn't able to kind of handle these threats single-handedly. He was solo killed a couple times, which was just weird. He was caught out of position. I'm just not used to that from them. I'm not used to Mithy. I mean, he died seven times in game one. What's that about? Uh, he died five times in game four. That was a winning effort. His positioning was was very subpar in a lot of those cases. And I, I think that, you know, these are flaws that are potentially going to come back to haunt them. I think the good news is that Perks is really good at League of Legends. Uh, that is a guy who we did not have him as our first team all pro in the regular season. And I hate when people use the playoffs to justify regular season awards. That's not how this works. That's not how any of this works. But damn, he looked good. That Game 3 Echo was a monster. That was a very well-played Echo. And I, obviously, Echo's my favorite champion, so I'm a little bit biased towards people who can play it well. But he played it incredibly well. I thought that his Oriana was solid. Even in the losing effort, I didn't think he was really the problem there. And his Cassiopeia, you know, like you said, that's something that we haven't seen a lot of from him. Clearly, it's something that he's worked on. It was ready to go, and he executed it just about perfectly. Some of those ults were very on point. Mm -hmm. So... You know, between him and Trick, and, you know, they have a lot of options available to them. I think they could do a better job of putting Sven into winning matchups. His Ezreal is just delightful. Mm -hmm. I could I could watch him, you know, put, put him on Ezreal every game. Who cares? I would love to see an enemy team deal with it. No one really has so far. But I, I think that Expect and Mithy are, have a little bit of a concern to me. I think that their vision... Certainly their inability to sweep wards out properly when it comes to major objectives like Baron are something that is very concerning to me. They've got to clean up those basics because if they don't, 
Unicorns of Love weakness will not matter so much. And if they start playing that kind of scrappy game, that's not where G2 wants to be at all. So, so here's the thing. G2 versus Unicorns of Love reminds me of a boxing match that happened uh, about a year, year or two years ago between uh, Manny Pacquiao and Floored Money Mayweather. Uh, Unicorns of Love or Manny Pacquiao. A lot of strikes, a lot of hitting, very fast-paced, you know, trying to trying to actually box, trying to actually fight, trying to get all these, you know, hits in as much as you can. G2 and Mayweather are very much, I'm going to make you waste your time. I'm going to dink, I'm going to dodge, I'm going to back off, I'm going to cinch you up a lot, I'm going to push you into the ropes a lot. I'm going to make you waste and expend all of your energy and then I'm just going to get one killing blow at the end. Or I'm going to take it a full 15 rounds. I don't care. I'll take it to the very end and I'll let, you know, the judges say, yeah, Mayweather won because, you know, he didn't get hit. Or, you know, he wasn't as tired or whatever. I don't even know how boxing scoring works. But Mayweather is totally okay with getting his hand raised at the end because the judges gave it to him. Um, granted, that doesn't happen in League of Legends. You actually have to win games. But that, that, that sort of, I'm just going to let you assault me with everything you have and then I'll get my counters in back when I want to is really sort of the definition of G2 I think over this split you did have some moments where yeah trick went absolutely off in the early game but for 10 weeks I'll say it again 10 weeks G2 has stood there and said come at me it's your job to beat me not my job to beat you because I know I'm better than you and only one team really succeeded, and that was your Team Rocket. Unicorns of Love had two chances, once in the regular season and once at IEM, and they couldn't step up to the king. The king just laid them out. And that's what worries me, is that they are so good at just weathering the storm and just sitting back, and I know I hate Weldon Green with a burning passion. I think say. he is a shyster. I think he sells snake oil. I think he is a, a, a wart on the face of League of Legends. I think it's terrible. I don't want to give him any credit. But the thought process of, let's just say, screw the early game because the early game really doesn't matter and let's focus on this late game, this mid to late game, making the right decisions, is so is resonated so much with G2 that it's so obvious that they don't care about the first 15 minutes of the game. They are so willing to just concede the map, to concede towers, to concede farm, to concede objectives, to just keep taking steps back. And then once that 25 minutes hits where it's team fight time, where you can't just quick rotate all these little skirmishes around the map, that's when they crack their knuckles and they say, all right, we've powered up, the spirit bomb is ready to go, Let's go win this game. And they just then they just roll over the rest of the map. And the one difference, I think, between Unicorns of Love from that IEM sinkhole that Bianca brought up to now is that Unicorns of Love have now realized that is correct. The, early, the late game is what matters. We still have a, an okay early game. Um, most of the games against Misfits were actually decent early games on Unicorns of Love part. But it's that mid to late game team fighting. And I think that's really where the team has gotten better. They're trusting their shot calling. You see Xerxes and Exile making more plays into that sort of mid to late game. So I'm just not sure that it's enough. What, what were your thoughts on Unicorns after their series with Misfits? Well, it's interesting that you say that about G2 because their early game rating during the regular season was 61.1. That was the second highest in the league. Uh, they played more minutes uh, ahead in gold during the early game than any team other than H2K. So I think that Unicorns of Love 
uh, they've got to come out in the early game. I think that, you know, we saw it game one against Fnatic. If they fall far enough behind in the early game, that's a problem for them. And, and Unicorns of Love certainly have the ability to do things like that. Uh, Xerxes is a guy who does such a great job of, of moving around the map and taking towers. Uh, you know, certainly uh, Exile loves to play these roaming mid laners. His LeBlanc was great. Uh, I thought his Vladimir is obviously just so good. I don't know. I, you know, I think I, I set out a tweet like, uh, Power of Evil, I mean, uh, Exile is a pretty good League of Legends player. To which uh, the response was, actually, Vladimir is a pretty balanced champion. And I think, you know, it, I don't think other pl team, uh, players have necessarily shown that to be the case, but when it's in Unicorns of Love's hand, it sure feels that way. Uh, it will scale up, it will be a monster, and he does enough in the early game where it's surprisingly solid there as well. I, I think that for Unicorns of Love, um, certainly, I, I think that Forcing G2 to play from behind will help a lot so that G2 can't have as many advantageous mid-game fights. But I think that certainly uh, what you pointed to is certainly something we saw against Misfits where G2 didn't care uh, what Fnatic did, I should say, uh, in the early game. Uh, Fnatic tried all these weird lane swaps, and I don't think that Unicorns of Love are going to try something that weak. Mm -hmm. I don't think that worked out very well. I don't think that G2 can rely upon getting leads that way. But certainly G2 has no problem saying, you do your weird thing. We're going to play standard, and we're going to trust that that works out for us. Yeah. So Unicorns of Love have to find a way to force these skirmishes, to force G2 out of their comfort zone. Force G2 to play around objectives and make them fight tooth and nail for every single thing. I want to see Xerxes counter-jungling here and saying, hey, Trick, I know you're the guy that's used to controlling the jungle and just having this insane jungle control. That's what they're known for. It's why I think he's going to be the three-time MVP. It's why he was my choice for the MVP this split. But, I, you know, Xerxes is a guy who certainly has enough of a command of the game, especially, oh, my God, his Graves is so much fun. Oh, my God, I love it so much. Yep. I can watch him play Graves all day, oh, every day. Man. And he made Kakao look foolish. I mean, <laughs> Kakao was the first team all pro, uh, was on the all-pro jungler list. I, I didn't understand that selection at the time. Uh, and I think Xerxes right now made a, hey, uh, you snubbed me? And I'm not going to be mad about it, but I'm going to prove you wrong. And but I'm, I'm going to be mad about it. Let me yeah. let, let's be honest. He was he's probably pissed off that he wasn't on that list. Let's be uh, in all honesty. And he it was disrespectful. Be. He went three one and fifteen on Gragas in game one. What I don't even know, man. Like that's like, we at this point where we're like, oh yeah, jungle Gragas doesn't really work very well because of the hesitation on the ultimate. Now Hold that delay kind of throws out the timing. He's like, eh. Whatever. I think I could figure it out. And then he proceeds to dominate on it. It's just, it's fun. It's it's fun to watch this team. It's fun to see, you know, even Samix is a guy that I don't think gets enough credit. Low econ guy, plays consistently. You know, you need someone like that on a team like Unicorns of Love. You need someone who's willing to sacrifice resources and say, hey, I don't need to be the number one guy. And I don't play need to be the Jin. number three guy. He yeah. played Jin. I don't think we've seen Jin recently ever since he got nerfed and samix is like game four yeah we're gonna play Jin tom kench into ash zyra that sounds like a good idea that sounds like a fan i was sitting there going why are you doing this why I, i'm literally pulling my hair out as i'm watching this game i think i was at at work maybe and i was watching it on my like lunch break i was like what are you doing this is such a bad idea and then they like i watched the first 10 minutes before i went on the floor and i was like oh okay that worked all right never mind my bad <laughs> My bad, Cheapy. You guys, you guys keep doing you. Um, at the end of the day, these are the two teams that are playing against each other. We've talked yes. about sort of them both independently. How do you think they match up against each other? We've already seen them play twice. Um, G2 kind of swept unicorns under the rug. 
But at the end of a 10-week regular season, at the end of IEM's all said and done, at the end of the quarterfinals and the semifinals, on Sunday, in Hamburg, Germany, how do you think these two teams match up? Well, at the end of the day, I think it's definitely going to be about who sets the pace. If D2 is allowed to play their standard lanes and Unicorns of Love can't force them into disadvantageous fights, then G2 is the best team in the league at just pushing those you know, objectives bit by bit by bit. They're going to starve you from resources. That 56.3% jungle control is absurd, and they will absolutely try to cut Xerxes off. They will absolutely use their superior warding, their 3.66 wards per minute. Obviously, wards per minute doesn't tell all of the story. We've talked about that before on the pod. But when Unicorns of Love are dead last at 3.00, that's enough of a gap to say maybe that, that matters. Maybe that's a thing that we have to at least consider. At the very least, G2 does a very good job of converting those into those other objectives. So I think they do deserve credit for that. I, I think that on the other hand, Unicorns of Love are a team that loves to throw people off of their game. They love to make enemy teams uncomfortable. You know, when they match up against Misfits and Misfits wants to do things like that Kale mid, they're like, yeah, okay, whatever. We're still going to do whatever we want to do because we don't care what you do. We're the unicorns of love. We know what champions work for us. We know what tempo things to look for. And I think that overall, uh, they have this ability to control their lanes. That 51.0% lane efficiency is something I always point back to. They're going to be putting pressure on the map all the time. And any time that G2 steps out of line to try to deal with that pressure, to try to relieve some of that on the map, they're going to be taking a significant risk. And I think that that risk is ultimately, at the end of the day, what's going to determine how this works out. If G2 are able to minimize those risks with valuable warding, starving out those resources, pushing up methodically, making sure that they don't make those little mistakes, don't give any of those openings up, they're going to come away with a victory. But if they play the way they did last week, I think Unicorns of Love sneak this one away. I think that certainly for all of the ups and downs that you see with the Unicorns of Love, they have a style that they stick to. They have a clear way that they like to play the game. Uh, they, they are always going to have a chance because they're always one or two team fights away from turning small, you know, these little objectives and whatever gold lead the enemy has can evaporate in a moment. I mean, that's the thing about game two. You can say what you want about the early game going against them, and it absolutely did, and that is a concern. But the way that they then shifted it back in their favor is also something we have to mention. And yes. it was incredibly impressive. And I can't, I can't wait to see how this goes down. I think that pick and man's going to determine a lot of it. I think that certainly we're going to get a very good sense within the first two games. If it's a 1-1 and it goes to basically a best of three in the last three games of the series... I think that this goes the full five. I think that a 2-0 and in either team's favor means that this could be a just mismatch of personalities and of, of strategy types. And the difference there, and this is why ultimately I do think the upset may fall into place, I don't know what G2's backup strategy is if Unicorns of Love are able to deal with what they do. I have no idea. G2 has one way they like to play, and certainly Rocket proved that you can throw them off of that. And Fnatic proved in game one, you can absolutely punish them for that. So if Unicorns of Love don't outplay themselves in that regard, and they do come up with a way to kind of counter some of these things and throw perks off, prevent those assassins, prevent some of the roams, prevent the, the slow systematic push into their jungle from mm -hmm. Trick, 
I don't know what G2's other win condition is. So it's just a matter of, is G2 so good that Unicorns of Love cannot step to it? Or are Unicorns of Love, can, or do they have enough ingenuity in terms of how they approach the game that G2 just doesn't have that next gear to turn to? It's going to be very fun to see. That's that's fair. I, I, I kind of agree with all of, all of what you said there, and I think the point about G2 is only really shown they know how one way how to play. Um, I think is a very a very strict point that needs to be focused on. And if they do end up losing to Unicorns of Love, I think it's something that we're going to look back and say, ha ha, Weldon Green was an idiot. Yes, that was just an excuse for me to say Weldon Green is an idiot. Yeah, Chase, <laughs> before we get to the lines, one last question. Yes. Which team would you rather see in Brazil at MSI? Unicorns of Love. Not even a question in my mind. Because we need to know if this works, right? This is the thing. We, we see all these debates on Twitter all the time of like, oh, well, I, you know, there was an article I think last week on Esports Heaven that I read about how, you know, we can't beat Korea by doing our own meta. We have to play, you know, the meta exists for a reason and teams that can adapt to that best are the teams that are going to be the most successful. Mm -hmm. And if we're going to see whether that's the case or not, Unicorns of Love can test that theory. Exactly. Unicorns of Love will care about this event. They will pour a lot of resources into it because they love seeing their fans go all in for these kinds of events. And they will absolutely try to, to throw off some of these Korean teams or the Chinese team, but almost certainly Flash Wolves from Taiwan unless something crazy happens there. Uh, and I would love to see that. I would love to see that tested on an international stage because we need to know whether a team like that does have the ability to work on an international stage. If G2 goes, we're just going to get more of what we always have. And yeah. that's not necessarily a bad thing. It's certainly G2 is a good team, and I think that they're going to perform better than they did last time around, if only because it would be hard to be worse than they were last time around. But I, I think that ultimately Unicorns of Love would be the far more interesting team in terms of the matchups possible at MSI. Absolutely. You know, vanilla ice cream is great. It, it It's a nice cold treat. You can, you know, get it for a couple bucks down by, you know, the lakeshore or by, you know, some vendor, you know, walking down the street and, you know, Hamburg or wherever. Um, but every once in a while, you really want, like, Rocky Ripple Road with, like, fudge pieces and, and peanuts and, like, all this stuff just, like, crammed into it. And you're like, yeah, every once in a while, I want a scoop of that. So vanilla is great, but vanilla with, like, a ton of other stuff mixed into it is just way better sometimes. Uh, I agree. I would rather see Unicorns Love at MSI just because I'm sick of seeing G2 in international events, and I'd like to see their crown be sort of knocked off. Uh, that is all said and done. Chase, where do you think the line is? Uh, I went back and forth on where I should put the line. I think that G2 gets a lot of credit because they you know, have won both series against Unicorns of Love previously. So certainly Unicorns of Love are the underdogs here. I think that, you know, I, I give them the, the benefit of the doubt from being two-time champions as well. Uh, I added at G2 minus 220, and I think that might be a little high. But I also think that last week we learned that apparently the casinos don't respect Unicorns of Love at all. So <laughs> I had to try to adjust accordingly. So I, um, ladies and gentlemen, your 2017 spring split, guess the lines, champion! Walter Ciades Benchuk, two-time champion, reigning, defending champion. Uh, I also took G2 at minus 220. Uh, oh, that okay. means that we split. <laughs> uh, that means we both get a point. That means that I win this week, which then gives me a two-point lead going into North America, which Chase is only one point, which means I am the winner of this split. 
thank you. I would like to. I'd like to thank everyone at home uh, that has supported me, that has cheered me on. I'd like to thank Steve Kathmeyer and his algorithms and his website for giving me an edge against Chase because obviously he doesn't use Steve Kathmeyer's site. And I'd like to thank Unicorn for for just having some really good odds, some really bad odds, and for secretly telling me the odds two hours ahead of time uh, every every single week. I really appreciate it. You guys are the champions. That being said, uh, yes, uh, we both said G2 minus 220. You weren't actually too high. Uh, neither of us were all that high. It's G2 minus 212. Oh, okay. Uh, Unicorns of Lover at plus 160. And uh, that feels a little disrespectful. I get, I get it. I understand why. But it still just feels a little disrespectful. Um, that being said, if you look at the other bets... Um, five maps is at plus 175. Uh, if you think G2 is going to win the series, if you think they win 3-1 or better, it's at plus 105. And if you think they get that sweet, sweet 3-0, it's at plus 320. Okay. Um, winning first map, which I think might be interesting. Yes. Unicorns of Love are at plus 125 to win map one. Okay. I like that bet a lot. I like that too. Okay. I really like that one, actually. So, so let's start there. Uh, UL winning map one, plus 125. I think that we really we have to decide, do we think that Unicorns of Love win this series more likely, or do we want to say that this goes to five maps? Because I do believe if Unicorns of Love win, it's going to be a five-map slugfest. I think that if G2 win, it's probably going to be 3-1. So which do we? I mean, where do you come down on it? Uh, this is just this is just a really rough series for me because my heart is desperately pleading for unicorns of love. My my heart and my wallet because I already have money on them to win the European LCS. And it's do. it's just it's tugging like come on G two can't do it three times in a row. It just doesn't happen. It just doesn't happen. Unicorns of love will finally be the one to knock them off. And my brain is like, yeah, but. They didn't lose a series for 400 games, 400 days. Let's remember that. And it's just yeah. this, this constant battle between the two of them. Um, I'm going to say let's go big or go home. Okay. I'm going to say Unicorns of Love win this series. Okay. I'm happy with that. I think plus 160 are fine under our odds. <coughs> I, I think that that's certainly uh, in play. Uh, I, I think that G2 made some very key flaws and key mistakes last week that could absolutely punish them against uh, the Unicorns of Love. Uh, for Misfits Fanatic, do we want to just wash our hands of it and say five maps plus 165? Yeah, let, let's just do it. Let's just do five maps. Five maps. I don't feel great about it. No. Because I, I, I just know this is a 3-1 series. Yeah, it's abs- it almost certainly is, but like I, like I do. I mean, I don't feel great about Misfits minus one and a half. I mean, that doesn't seem great. I don't feel great about choosing Fnatic to win. Like it's just like yeah. it, it's like a fifty-fifty, and it's gonna be a three-one, which means we're not gonna make money off of it. But you know, whatever. Yeah, you gotta believe, man. Hashtag the dream. But Hashtag the dream. Regardless of how these bets go out, I think we can both agree that this is gonna be a very fun weekend of games. It's gonna be a great weekend. This is going to be a fantastic weekend. And we're only half done with it. We still have North America. We have North America. Yep, that's right. North America. We get to, And I, I've already won. Like, it doesn't matter. I, I, this is such a great weekend. I feel fantastic about it. 
Chase, where can people find you on Twitter so they can just mock you for being terrible at what we do? Uh, you could find me uh, at RedshirtKing on Twitter. Obviously, I love hearing from you guys. I'll be in the comment section reading all of your stuff. Thanks again to uh, Bianca and Felix from Unicorns of Love and to Heck, representing G2 Esports in, in this case, uh, for coming out of the show. Always great to have guests come on. And, you know, I... I, I actually write for Steve Kaffmeyer's site, so hopefully I've used You obviously website. don't use the site. That's all I'm saying. LCSpredict.com. I'm going to plug that there. And also don't forget Unicorn.com. I've been doing a lot of writing over there. I did an article last week on Fanatics Resurgence that I, I think uh, you guys should absolutely check out. And I'm going to be doing a lot of MSI coverage over there. And since the draw for the play-in is today... I might that might be coming out sooner rather than later. It's hard. I don't want to get look into it yet because we still have so many finals to watch. But it's there. It's happening. It's on the way, Walter. Yeah, I don't care. Get, get, oh, I, oh no. I, I don't care about MSI. We already know this. I I care more about IEMs than I do MSI, which is kind of weird. But yeah, you you can follow me at C80s underscore LOL. I'm gonna be gloating all weekend about my guest line championship. Uh, you'll also probably see me uh, cursing the gods at why some of my teams aren't going to win uh, win games that lose me money. And you're going to see me obviously hedge my bets on TSM versus Cloud9. But we'll get to that tomorrow. So until then, go Unicorns of Love. Goodbye, Internet. Hey there, C80s here. Thanks for checking out the podcast. And if you enjoyed today's episode, consider supporting us at www.patreon.com backslash roughdraftspod. For just a dollar a month, you can join your fellow listeners in our patron-only Discord channel and help keep the content coming. Or join our VIP club, where a dollar a show or eight bucks a month gets you first priority on all patron content, like our patron-only Q&As. And check us out on all of our social media, Twitter, at RoughDraftsPod, Facebook.com, backslash RoughDraftsPod, SoundCloud.com, backslash EsportsRoughDrafts, as well as on iTunes and YouTube by just searching for the Rough Drafts Podcast. Thanks for listening, and goodbye, Internet.